He's on the line and I am delighted to be chatting to him. It is our book feature, Wendile Setlobo, Finding Common Ground, Land, Equity and Agriculture. It's a, a, a book by Wendile Setlobo. He's an agricultural economist. I must say one of my favorite people actually on Twitter is that he tells us about how many blueberries we've grown in South Africa, things that you never even imagined. It's quite bizarre. Nevertheless, he's written a collection of previously published works that look at the state of South African land reform and also at the farming sector as well. Wendile, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Michelle. Good morning. Good morning and thank you for your book. What a brilliantly simple read, and I mean that in the best possible way, is that I thought, oh, you know, um, to to read a book about... um, Agriculture, okay, sure, there's the politics of it, and that's always interesting, but is agriculture that interesting? Actually, there was a whole load of stuff that came out there that I was just like, man, like, really? (laughs) (laughs) So, Wandila, let's just talk briefly to um, the format of the book. Perhaps you could just break that down for our listeners. Yeah, Michelle, when when we were working on the book, uh, one had to think about uh, the key topical things or significant um, uh, the policy themes that have really dominated South Africa's agriculture, say, the past three years. And obviously, that meant then that the starting or the larger part of the book, which is about 50% of it, is going to be dedicated on land reform. And uh, straight after that, one of the important things was this change on a new leadership and the departments of agriculture merging with that of the, of the land reform. And I had to look into that because I thought that that leadership will influence the pace about how we go with land reform and development. And then there's a chapter onto that. And the other thing, um, obviously, that is important for us is growth and job creation. And agriculture yeah. is always talked about as one of the sectors. So I went into making sure that there's a dedicated uh, section that deals with that. And the issues of gender, uh, as well as young people, and dealing with diversity and areas around exports and also cannabis, which is also important, um, is one of the things that I had to look at. And also closing off the book by looking on an African market yes, to say that how does that relate to us? So I'm going to go through because I, I, I have to say I made lots of notes. So there's those dog ears tagged all the way through. There's um, I'm afraid I'm one of those people. I took a cookie and I marked things that I found fascinating. So one of the things... Um, and I won't go through all the sectors, but in the land reform sector, there, there were a couple of things that struck me. You chose to write a lot of those around, um, not around, in partnership with Johan Kirsten. Tell us about that partnership. Yeah, the partnership came in, actually, when, we, when I started monitoring about how the debate was going um, on land reform. I would say around about 2016, the start of 2017, and really monitoring about how the debate was going. And I had to go back because Professor Ioan Kirsten is one of the people in academia that has done really some significant work around this topic. Um, and at this time, also linked now to my previous university. And then we had to sit down and think about all of this work. And then we said, how do we look back on our academic work, use greater academic work, and the bits that I had done and begin to make sense of the world as we see it today. And it was important to link again with that academic because I think the historical view of the events that maybe I might have uh, uh, I might have had maybe a, a smaller lens of he has a greater lens onto that. So that collaboration was very important, and that's how we delved into those. And I think though 
in a certain part, I also pulled on another academic, uh, Professor Mzugisi Kobo, of the Vet School of Government, because he also brought in another aspect that was important on the land reform, and I had to work with these academics on trying to put those articles together. You know, there are different approaches and uh, ideas around how land reform should happen. What struck me was that in one of the um, articles that you had written in 2018, was and and I'll read it here is that our viewers aligned with the view of lawyers such as advocates Tembeke Ngukaitobi and Tuli Madonsela, and this position holds that the current provisions of the constitution providing for powers related to expropriation should be implemented immediately to test the bounds of the compensation clause before considering an amendment. Now, I know that um, advocate Ngukaitobi in his uh, book, The Land is Ours, talks to that as well. And I I was really interested, and I have heard this from a variety of people saying that, in fact, our constitution does not need to be changed. Yes, I mean, we have to lean in on what the, 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 the lawyers were saying onto that. And the other argument or the other lens that we were bringing was that of an economic perspective to say, if you were to change and go, say, widespread expropriation, what would be the economic effect there? Would we really be better off or the shock would be so painful that uh, perhaps maybe it is not worth crossing the road and going into that, into that side? And that was the judgment on economic perspective. And also they had that judgment on a legal perspective, um, that view on a legal perspective. And I think then in combination of those, that was why we were saying, look, let's explore other methods of really accelerating land reform. Because the program on its own has to be done, but it's just about how do we get to be more effective so that any fruits from it would really empower people than giving us an economic pain for a certain period. You know, Wandila, obviously one of the issues of uh, land reform and one of the opportunities of land reform is that it is about work creation. And we want to see the agricultural sector create more, even if I don't say jobs, but rather work. Um, And you you touch on this um, when you go further on in the book where you talk about um, in in an article called African Farming Must Plot Its Own Course. And I thought that was it was it was a fascinating article with regards to what were some of the things that we needed to think about with regards to um, the trends that are happening in this country. You talk about the youth bulge, you obviously talk about climate change and the huge risks that are involved in that. You talk about technology, and I was intrigued to, to read that you, you are a proponent of, of um, GM. Yeah, I, I think the, 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 the really key thing there, Michelle, it also goes to the point to say, how do we become competitive? Yeah. Because for South Africa to be as this competitive and different from the rest of the other African countries in as far as the output of agriculture, it really boils down to what methods do we use. It's not so much a climate question, but it's more of the adaptation and adoption of certain technologies that we use. And GM is part and parcel of those technologies that are able to give us capabilities. And we've been really on this road since 2001 and throughout the years, and I know there's a lot of opposing voices, but net-net and looking at the game, are still giving that we took the right decision. You know, I'm interested in that because um, I've been reading a case study about the wine estates um, in Napa Valley in California for a project that I was doing. And one of the things that I realized that didn't come up, and it was all about climate change, that didn't come up in the case study was this idea of biotechnology. So when I read this, I felt like sort of contacting my 
my team members who I'm working on this and saying, we did not think about biotechnology. Perhaps you could just uh, talk to us a little bit more about that as a form of competitiveness. Yeah, I, th- I think on the biotechnology side, Michelle, it's in, it's in different ways. The games could largely be on the yield perspective because yeah. now you are pushing and really engineering the thing so that you can boost your yield percentage. But I think it's going to be more important now with the climate change being a bigger challenge, as you rightly say, because now we need to engineer the seeds in a way whereby the growth span of them could be shorter, because now the rainfall cycles are no longer as it was the case about six years ago. So technology will have to play, play a huge role on assisting agriculture to adapt with the climatic conditions. And I think that we should be open to such discussions because we've seen in the United States, South America, in many other countries that are largely competitive in global agriculture, that technology is part and parcel of that. And I think that we need that. We need to push the output and cope with the climate change because one way mm. we have the, the, the poverty problem, but also we have this problem where we want our agriculture to be competitive, create jobs, um, incomes for people, and the export markets are ever continuing to, to open for our products. And I think that we need to be thinking uh, proactively about these things. Uh, we have to go to a break, uh, Wandile, but I'm going to ask you for a quick yes-no question, and then we'll come back after the break. But the yes-no question is, when you talk about uh, GM uh, products, uh, crops, genetically modified crops, do you get pushback? Yes. <laughs> I thought so. It's 8.50. We're going to break. When we come back, we have Wendy Lesser-Klobo on the line. If you missed any action of the 139th season of the Emirates FA Cup, worry not. This Monday, SABC Sport takes you back to the highlights of the first and second round of this spectacular competition. The Saves. Oh, and he nearly found the back of the net. The Goals. Oh, and he scores! The flair, drama, and the moments of brilliance. Rashford hits it. Hits it well! Oh, amazing! Oh, no. oh that's Ronaldo esque! Catch the FA Cup review show this Monday at 10 pm on SABC One. Hashtag History Comes Home. Brought to you by SABC Sport. For the love of the The Jet Set Breakfast. Music, culture, lively and critical discussions on SAFM. We're chatting to the author of a book called Finding Common Ground, Land Equity and Agriculture by Wandile Sitlobo, who is a chief economist of the, at the Agricultural Business Chamber of South Africa, AGBIS. He's also served as a member of President Sora Maposa's advisory panel on land reform. It is a great read. Um, I, I really was surprised at how much you and how easy it is to read and what you learn about not just this country but the continent and agriculture as well. And uh, we mentioned earlier that um, there is a drought-tolerant maize, it's called Wima, a water-efficient maize for Africa that is being developed for dryland farmers. And certainly as we look at drought in this country and on the continent in general, it seems to be something of really um, great interest. I have two more questions, Wandile. One of them, you you look at a lot of the other countries, well, not a lot of them, but you look at them briefly. One of them, um, you ask a very interesting and I suppose um, 
challenging question, was Zimbabwe the breadbasket of Africa before its land reform program? And obviously that's, uh, that's one of the myths that uh, and may not be a myth that was put out. But in fact, you say that whilst it was a self-sufficient food producer prior to the land reform program, there's limited evidence to support the notion of Zimbabwe ever having been a breadbasket of Africa, which makes me wonder, and uh, you talk about it, what is a breadbasket? Yeah, I think Michelle, we over-exaggerated the, the contribution of Zimbabwe in as far as agriculture is concerned um, in Africa. Because that actually started when a number of Zimbabwean leaders, then President Mugabe, was always saying, look, we, this is a good year, we're about to be back and be a breadbasket for Africa and all of those things. But I think for you to be a breadbasket, you really say perhaps maybe you are exporting more than a third or so of your output uh, to your neighboring countries, and then there perhaps you can be categorized as a breadbasket. But when one looks and looked at Zimbabwe and, 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 and considering the data, um, really starting from 1961 and progressing up until probably 2018, when we look at that, um, there was no evidence that Zimbabwe was quite strong uh, onto that. And I mean, I can give you comparison. If you look to look at us now, we export um, in value terms about 50% of what we produce. So that just gives you perspective on these days, wow. on who you regard uh, onto that. But I think the bottom point was that we over-exaggerated um, Zimbabwe's contribution in, in food production in, in Africa uh, in, in the past few years. Okay, I'm going to comment on one more thing, and then I want to ask you something not in the book, but I imagine that if the book was written now, you would write about it. Is um, I loved the story about Kenya's avocado revolution and what we could learn. Maybe it's because I'm a huge fan of, Ken- of, of avocados, but I found it fascinating that you uh, mentioned how you know how Kenya have really managed to shift the game for themselves with regards to how they export um, avos, and so they export to a bunch of countries, but most interesting, one of their big exports is to China, and you believe that this is a door that we could open. Yeah, this is a door that we could open, Michelle, and I'm, and I'm glad that right now, for example, those conversations have advanced. Um, South Africa is uh, uh, in those conversations to ensure that at least we do have our avocado market opened onto China. But obviously, it's always difficult when we're negotiating with China because products take a long time and they negotiate by product by product. But the bottom point is that as South Africa is growing various crops, we should put the yes. same energy on export markets. Absolutely. Okay, Wandila, we don't have much time and I want to take you outside of the book, but I imagine that it's something that you will write about or put into a book at a later stage is um, the locust plague, which is striking um, East Africa. But now I hear that they also have it in South America as well. Yeah, they are a huge challenge. And I mean, I think this, again, if, if one looks at the origin and reads what the scientists are saying, this is all linked to the climatic uh, uh, climate change story. Because if you've heard mm. about long years of droughts, and then followed up with the, with, 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 the, with the high rainfall or heavy rainfall for a prolonged period, then these locusts uh, do tend to come out. And in the East Africa region, uh, I mean, they've caused devastation there. Countries like uh, over five, over half a million hectares of land has already been affected uh, by this. And I think the challenge now is fighting the locusts with the limited resources that are now used for fighting the coronavirus. Um, and, and, and there's starting to be some concerns about food security. Certainly in countries like Kenya, I think they were hard hit 
when their food security status was already um, fragile. But the, the entire East Africa region is really watching and, and trying to cope with this. And hopefully they are able to control them. I mean, I understand, and we did interview someone about this a while back, that it's literally, and maybe maybe it's just the kind of creative in me, but the vision of like a swarm of maybe a kilometer of of locusts just coming down and you can bang on pots and pans as loudly as you like. But man, with a swarm that size, there's not much you're going to be able to do. And the sound must be terrifying because it would be, must be quite terrifying, eh? Yes, I mean, absolutely, and, and which is why, then I think that they needed the financial resources that they had, because uh, you need to be using sprays and pesticides and all of those things to control um, uh, this. And that's where the, uh, the unfortunate part is actually getting on in countries that are least, um, I mean, you think of Ethiopia, Somalia, uh, Eritrea. Those are some of the countries that are just affected by this. And the unfortunate part is that a number of those, they largely rely on agriculture, so, and, and, and the number of those farmers are smallholder farmers, which again speaks to the resource matter, which is why I was thinking that the multinational approach and obviously the donors community are already looking into that. That's what will really assist those countries. Fortunately for us in, in Southern Africa, that doesn't seem that they are heading this way. And if they were, I mean, uh, institutions like the ARC do have some bit of capabilities to be able to control um, uh, that. But I think also we have a deep a uh, 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 pesticides or agrochemical industry in South Africa, which in one way or another could assist us um, if we were to be hit by this. But I think we should stay prepared and know that these things can happen in any region. Yeah. Wandile, we don't even have a minute, and I can't find it in my book, but um, there's, there's a part of it where you create a list. <laughs> Of all the amazing things that we grow in this country, and they're things that, of course, wouldn't even be top of your mind. Maybe you could just give us a couple of the things on that list. We are big on horticulture. Um, all of the varieties of horticulture We're big on field crops. Nearly also they're all of our key, uh, key products and also on the livestock. But I think that what we need to be focusing on are the labor-intensive and high-value yes. areas which is mainly the horticultural sector. Where it can't do well, then we have consideration for other products. When's your next book coming out? 2022. <laughs> that was said with such <laughs> confidence and force. Wondelius Atluba, congratulations on a really great read and uh, looking forward to uh, continuing to watch both your career but also your writing and learning more about this country. That's Wondelius Atluba. He's written a great first book, Finding Common Ground, Land Equity and Agriculture. And uh, if you want to know more about agriculture in this country and on the continent, this is the book to read. And you know what? It makes easy sense. It's brilliant.